Thank you, Brother Owen and Brother Larry, and the Centennial Choir for the work that you have done so that you could have been such a blessing to us during the Centennial Assembly. And thank you to my ministerial colleagues for staying the course with us over the week of this assembly. We believe we have experienced the grace of God in some major dispensations during our experience this week. I want to thank those of you who have committed, committed to praying for me and supporting me and supporting the office that I now assume Reverend Anglin having limited office. We look forward to the next phase of the work of the Church of God in Jamaica. We want to be at God's disposal so that his transforming grace may take us into a new space as his church and that the work we do will have increasing impact on the life of the church and on the life of the world in which the church exists. I know we are a people of history and I call us to be faithful to our history, to be guided by our heritage, to always pay attention to the dignity of God's church, to always pay attention to the dignity of the pastorate, and to always pay attention to the dignity of Christian service and Christian work. Many of us believe the church has been yearning for a time of renewal. And today, we can open our hearts even more in expressing that desire to God. And it's not about a critique of the past, in a negative way, but awaking up to the opportunities that God is now opening before us, and that God is beckoning like he beckoned in the Macedonian call, come over to Macedonia and help us. The theme of the assembly is an action-oriented theme. But it's not an action based on a wish list. Or based on mine or yours, women fancies. It's an action based on who Jesus Christ is in the church and in the lives of the believers. And what Jesus Christ intended for the church in the first century 
and what he intends for the Church of God in Jamaica in the 21st century. We want to make all the connections and we also want to open ourselves to the creation of the new possibilities and the new futures that God will orchestrate with us. So we honor our leaders of the past, all of them, to our most recent leader, Reverend Dr. Linworth Anglin. We honor the Olsons, George and Nellie Olson, and their family, and the remarkable legacies that they have left us, including the legacy of this very place where we meet today, and where we have been meeting for so many years for our annual General Assembly. Today we raise the question to ourselves and do the process of self-appraisal and open ourselves to be self-critical while not leading ourselves into anxiety and depression. But we raise the critical question, what kind of ancestors will we be? And it's a question that should force us to reflect not only on who have left us and what they have left us, but important, in an important way, who we are and who we are today and what we will leave for the generation to come. I thank God today that when I saw Reverend Philip Neal being helped along the way into the building, my heart leapt with joy. I remember his pastoral work in my life. I remember one statement that he made to me publicly that I will never forget may be the most important statement of affirmation I have ever heard in my whole life. And I remember when I told him I was about to go to seminary and requested his recommendation that he not only gave me a written recommendation but he gave me counsel. And Reverend Philip Neal knows that the church from which I come is a university. The Pepper Church of God is a university of no mean order. And he counseled me. And some of those counsel continue to help me when I run upon hard times in the pastorate. Brothers and sisters, you don't know but I have come upon hard time in the pastorate. Pastors, when you meet with Reverend Anglin and myself in his office and we talk through issues, don't believe it is head knowledge. 
It is experiential knowledge. But God is a good God. And some of my fellow pilgrims from Pepper called me and text me and said they were going to be here today. Some of them are not any longer in the Pepper Church of God, but I told them they should come back because the Pepper Church of God is a university. And Brother Rustan is getting spirited, but I'll keep him down. For he is not drunk as you believe. It is not even 12 o'clock yet in the morning. But he knows too. We all know. I'm speaking to you this morning for 20 minutes on the theme reaching out new thrust in social activism and evangelism and I'm speaking from the text that was read by Sister Beryl Rochester from Acts chapter 13 find that text please and verse 1 to verse 12. And in the interest of time, I won't read it. But I want you to keep it in front of you. As there are three fundamental points about the church reaching out that I want to remind you of today and to reinforce in our minds. This church in Antioch, for me brothers and sisters, is a benchmark church. It's a church for understanding church and the unfolding of the nature of the church in the context of the world in which the church exists. It's a text for formulating vision and mission and for validating those who dare enough to take the step of enterprise into mission. It's a text for bringing us to the sense that the church and its worship and its work is not without the envy of the evil one. And that if you belong to a church on whose side Satan is, you are in the wrong church. And that if your anticipation of involvement in Christian ministry and mission is an involvement that it will be stress-free and problem-free and opposition-free and conflict-free, then you are answering the wrong mission. 
And I also want you to benchmark with me this church in Antioch as a church that comes to new frontiers. That the expansion of the gospel, the reaching of the gospel to Rome, to Europe, to Haiti, to Jamaica, are all predicated on the establishment of the church in Antioch. And the church in Antioch is a church that calls us again and again to a time of renewal, to a time of realignment, to a time of reassessing the church itself, and the world to which the church is being called to minister effectively. And it's a church that helps us to recognize that if it is not the Holy Spirit who is calling us, who is convicting us, who is transforming us, who is conforming us, and who is sending us with power, then you are really into your own imagination, your own orchestration, and the pursuit of your own self-interest. That self-interest may be about profiling. That self-interest may be about aping. That self-interest may be about copying, but it can never be about a Christ-centered, God-driven, Holy Ghost-filled ministry in whichever context we find ourselves and operate. Our special guest speaker to this assembly, the general director of the North American Church, came to us and he reminds us that Jesus is the subject. Today, I remind us that if Jesus is the subject, salvation is the object. And if Jesus is the subject and salvation is the object, worshiping is the operative verb. The call to true and genuine worship. The call to worship him in spirit and in truth. The call to recognize that true worship is transforming and transforming in the sense that it always makes us more Christ-like. And brothers and sisters, some things are being passed today as true worship. that I'm going to call us to genuinely re-examine. But I want to speak to you from the text. 
and to benchmark that one of the legacies that has been passed to us from the experience of the church in Antioch that is good for us to contemplate in the centennial assembly of our church when so many of us contemplate that the church has been at a crossroads that there is a call today to be a true worshiper. And it may surprise you that this is what I am calling you today to examine first and foremost. The quality of our worship, the purpose of our worship, and how we practice our worship. And many things are going to cause us to question that in an even deeper way. For we live in a world of multiculturalism. And we live in a world where increasingly we are called to become intercultural in our orientation. Where it's a world that is very big on the agenda of tolerance. And in the agenda of tolerance is a centerpiece that is called personal preference. And that personal preference trumps orthodoxy and trumps the authority and the supremacy of Jesus Christ as the subject in our lives. For tolerance is about, in Jamaican parlance, mix up and blend up. It is about the, in, the, the, the difficulty of distinguishing between the fish and the fowl. It's about the journey of the lukewarm to the place of prominence. And it's about how easily we surrender passion, making the hard choice repeatedly because it is right. How easily we surrender those because of the power of convenience, because of the theology of accommodation, and because of the theology of syncretism. This church in Antioch calls us to benchmark genuine worship because the world in which it exists is a Greek world is a pagan world with multiplicity of offerings and alternatives and options. It's a world in which the government would not need to be led by the IMF to establish in law flexi work week. But it's a world in which the Christian 
would make the hard choice in the face of a law in the country that cuts against the Christian orientation and the Christian interests. In this country, if I was a politician, and if I was honest, I would tell you that there is an easy way to pass a law in Jamaica. A law that may even have inkling of being unjust. You just have to get the church divided on the subject. If worship is not the centerpiece of your life, if there is no center in your life that you call worship, whether in private or in public, then your life is out of work. And the compass by which you live your life will lead you into any and every direction. Especially if you buy into the theology of convenience and accommodation. In the church in Antioch, this church, there was a man called Paul who not so long ago was a persecutor of the church. In this church in Antioch, there is a man called Manien who had been brought up with Herod the Tetras. In that church where people come from diverse backgrounds, there was a genuine commitment to the worship of Jesus Christ that they would not compromise law or no law. Nero or no Nero. Emperor or no emperor. Because they knew that at the center of their experience, was this thing of a genuine worship of Jesus Christ that had to be protected and preserved. It is while that church of diverse membership, people with past that would make you become suspicious every now and again, it is that church, while they were in worship, that the Lord spoke and said by the Spirit, separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And the benchmark of worship in this church in Antioch, brothers and sisters, is a benchmark that says in the experience of worship there is a flow of a relationship between God 
and the worshiper. That cannot be substituted. That cannot be taken away from you by force. But remains the genuine experience as one meeting with the creator, redeemer, sustainer. And that whether in public or in private, where genuine worship takes place, it is not one person speaking. But there is a communication and a conversation between the worshipped and the worshipper. Nothing in our experience must bring us to replace this fundamental principle. Where worship takes place, God is present. God speaks. We hear God. We listen to God. And we respond to God appropriately and effectively. But genuine worship is threatened today. Genuine worship is threatened by the appetite to profile, by the appetite to look like somebody else, to sound like somebody else, to be like somebody else. And when we do that, bereft of the genuine article of worship in spirit and in truth, Brothers and sisters, you may be having a happy hour. You may be busting some sweat. You may be speaking some tongues. You may be shouting that anybody can hear you. But if the genuineness of the relationship between you and your God that is conversational, that is confessional, that is transformational, is not taking place, we are missing the mark. And how many times we go to church and we leave and we face Monday morning at work and the issue comes up but the issue cannot be processed properly by us. How many of us make the connection that when you come to the center, this God who calls us to the center calls us away from personal preference, right. from personal preoccupation, and calls us to himself to prepare us that worship is about coming to God so that God can send us to be who he wants us to be.
if you don't believe that there is a challenge to the quality of the worship of the church today, check out the quality of the Christian service of the church. If you believe that people get warm Sunday morning and hot, ask them to come to Arden High School for a prayer meeting with the school. Ask them to become a mentor for a child who is deep in antisocial behavior. Ask them to get involved in sacrificial giving and sacrificial service. And you can begin to know if the benchmark of worship is operative. You know what Paul says, Brother Courtney? Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and I'm not going to say it the way you say it, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And then he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There was a time in the church of God, you know, Pastor Samuel, when Christians did not wear necktie. That's in the history. And there was a time when drinking coffee was also outlawed. And thank God, those days are far behind us. The greater difficulty now is to tell Christians to wear enough clothes. But I don't want you to get sidetracked because that was not in the script for the sermon. You know, we know why I raised this particular point about the departure from genuine worship. That I sense, and I believe pastors have sensed it, I sense that the conformity to the world problem is giving us problem in the life of discipleship. And that's why, brothers and sisters, I believe that the experience has to be transformational. I wonder if anybody in here dances salsa. F-A-L-S-A. Salsa. You know about salsa sauce? You don't know about salsa dance? All right. If you go to Cuba or a Latin American country or places in New York and Harlem for a cultural experience, go and experience salsa. Just watch, watch the dance and watch the grace 
and the articulation and the movement. It's a lot of intertwining that I would encourage some of you to get involved with. But salsa is a dance that requires that you give it body and mind and soul. Body and mind and soul. You can't be half-hearted. And if you foot sick, you may not do it. But I raise this thing of the salsa because I believe it has a message for us, a cultural message, a spiritual message, that the worship of God that the church in Antioch was called to and benchmarked for us was a worship that required the involvement of the total being. Body, mind, spirit, emotion. Whereas us, it's a dance that requires too that you listen closely to the music and the change in the music and the required movement to follow the change in the music. And I bet you begin to believe that Pauline and I dance salsa. But I can put up a disclaimer that I have never danced salsa. So Sister Muriel, that nullifies your question. And that saved Reverend Davidson some pain. And he won't have to dance salsa with you. But I say it because I am calling us brothers and sisters to realize that Satan sometimes don't mind if we worship God, providing that we are mindless in our worship. <laughs> Satan sometimes doesn't mind if we are passionless in our worship. And Satan absolutely does not mind if there is no relation between worship and personal transformation. And this church in Antioch, they were worshiping. Worshiping is the verb between the subject and the object. Every one of us must be careful to guard our worship. And I tell my church this, and I can tell you, if I am traveling overseas and I don't have to travel Sunday, I won't travel Sunday. Because I must go to worship. And when I travel overseas, whether by on business or vacation, my first duty is to check out a place of worship. Amen. Worship must never be on the margin of our agenda. 
It must never be after you have done everything. Everything you do must be because you worship. And not because it gives you gratification. Or it makes you popular. And I want to stick up in with the church of God at the centennial. That this benchmark in Antioch is calling us to re-examine our worship. When the flexi week matter comes up in your workplace and you are required to make your selection, say to them that I would prefer to have Sunday morning off so I can go to worship. Do that and protect what you have because the enemy is about destabilizing the worshipping experience of the people. And it is not flexi week that is going to do it. It is the attitude that we have to the center, to the worship experience. So my simple call this morning at the centennial is be a worshiper. Be a genuine worshiper. Prioritize your worship. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. The second thing I believe and it flows naturally from the text. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And Church of God, my brothers over there looking so nice in your white shirt and nice ties, this wonderful centennial choir, the big gathering this morning of the centennial, the second call I want us to identify with from the church in Antioch as a benchmark is the work of the church. What Paul says here is separate to me I mean, the, the writer of Acts record. Separate for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. And I believe time has come for us to do the evaluation of the work of the past, to recognize the value of the work of the past as a part of our history, to lay it out in context in relation to our legacy and the quality of it. To validate it. But to take inspiration from it about doing greater works. We must never deny our ancestors their credits. But we must raise the question 
What kind of ancestor am I going to be in the church of God? And the work to which he has called us. I believe right now is a work that will require that we regroup nationally, regionally, and locally. That we listen to the Spirit again and again and again. And we determine by the voice of the Spirit what is it that you want us to do, Lord. And I believe the challenge of the church today is greater than the challenge of the church in the first century. And part of that is because the church always knew the emperor and the agenda of the emperor. But the church in the 21st century operate in a context where we are required more and more to be politically correct. And part of the political correctness agenda, Dr. Garnet Brown, is that something that our name as wrongs in the Bible, church can't speak them vehemently anymore. But the gospel, whose work must be, must inform the work of the church, is a gospel that had always recognized that it is an offense. The gospel is never about sanitizing anybody. The gospel is never about powdering anybody. The gospel is never about washing face. The gospel is always about speaking the truth in love. And there is a work that is being neglected in the life of the church today. And it is the work of speaking the truth in love. Whether we call it prophetic word. Or we call it Christian advocacy. Or we call it counseling. Or we call it teaching. Or we call it teaching and preaching. There is a great neglect of the truth in Jamaica today. There is a great neglect of the truth in the church today. And church, I want you to notice the unfolding of this work to which the Spirit sends Paul yes. and Barnabas. 
Notice that in the story, there is a big man called Sergius Paulus. He is a proconsul. And notice in the story that there is a prophet, a false prophet, called Bar Jesus. And that they are closely aligned. And notice in the story that Sergius Paulus is taking an interest in the gospel. And that Bar Jesus, the sorcerer, is taking an opposition to his interest in the gospel. And brothers and sisters, the unfolding of this story is the unfolding of God's agenda of good works in the life of the church. For here it is. Stephen became the first martyr. Paul supervised the martyrdom of Stephen. And Paul's vocation now was to hunt Christians everywhere. Persecute them. Prosecute them. Bring them into jail. Bring them before the magistrate. And to go as far as to have them executed. So after the execution of Stephen... There was the execution of James. And there should have been the execution of Peter. You know what happened to Peter? Right. But the work of God is unfolding. The work to which God has called us. And there is a target for the work because Jesus is the subject and the conversion of Sergius Paulus is the object. The opposition to that is one called Bar Jesus. And the work that Paul was called to do required him to get through the confrontation, the opposition, the conflict posed by Bar Jesus. And here I want to characterize the issues as, as conflict of values. Yes, yes, yes. Conflict of values. Yes. Paul is a Christian converted. Bar Jesus is a prophet of another thought. And I don't know if you know that those prophets sometimes find themselves in our churches too. They come with their own agenda. And Paul said something to Bar Jesus that I want the church to recognize as something that is going to be the hallmark of our works, our good works. Paul said to Bar Jesus, You are a child of the devil. 
and what you are doing is not right. What you are doing is not right. I believe there is a place for our work for the church of God, which is to be called taking the stand together to do what is right in this nation. This is a nation of the miscarriage of justice. This is a nation of social exclusion. This is a nation where personality always wants to trump principles. This is a nation where increasingly we are getting confused about right and wrong. This is a nation that is being taken over by cultural relativism. This is a nation where we are being desensitized every day to the wrongness of the wrong. And brothers and sisters, it is a work in social justice that the church is being called to. Every time Paul speaks about work in his epistle, he gives the adjective good and he makes it a distinguishing mark of the church. He calls Christian work good works. Good works. And church, it's not about profiling. It's not about advertisement. It's not even about letting your left hand know what your right hand do. But there are some good works that must be done publicly. That must be a demonstration of the heart and soul of the church. That the church must never renege on. And part of the work is to give our children in Jamaica a good appreciation of right and wrong. And I want to say, in the church of God, nobody, however dear to us, must get any cover for doing any wrong. The enduring ethic of the light of the, of, the, of the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ, the subject, is that we are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither should you light a candle and put it under a basin. Shine your light, therefore, that men may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven.
Church of God? No child in your Sunday school must be treated differently in a negative way. Arden and Prep and Extension High School, no child in your school must be treated differently in a negative way. Arden High School, no child in the school must be treated differently in a negative way. And anywhere the church of God and its family engage children, the duty of care that Jesus Christ has established must be carried by all of us in our philosophy, in our carriage, in our practice. And the church of God must be known as a church of best practice in Sunday school and in all of our institutions because we care best and we do the right thing. When Paul said to this guy, what you are doing is not right, Paul is bequeathing to us an important frame of reference that when we look, we must have a sense of what is right and what is wrong. And when we decide, we must always decide on what is right. Always. Remember church, that you are living in a nation of lip service. Remember that. Remember, church, that you are living in a nation of sound bites. Remember, church, that you are living in a nation with a deliberate strategy of deconstruction of values. Remember, church, that South Africa is celebrating today 20 years of democracy in their nation. Remember that Jamaica stood for South Africa in the fight against apartheid when the Dutch Reformed Church did not. And remember that justice for one is justice for all. You see a poor man being treated badly and you don't pay him no mind, just realize that it is a matter of time. Just realize that. Realize that in the church in Antioch, there was a man named Manian and that he was related to Herod the treasure in a professional way. Remember, that was Herod the treasure who was offended by the message of John the Baptist. Remember, it was Herodias, his wife, who set up his daughter, her daughter to dance and trick Herod 
into making a commitment that he could not have reversed. And when the daughter had danced salsa and had pleased the dinner party and Herod made the commitment in law and her mother got wind of it, she said to her, Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Ask for that. The same Herod was responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. But thank God, the power of the gospel is that a man named Manian is now a part of the prophets and teachers in the church in Antioch. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. But one of the reasons I told you that it is more problematic for the church in the 21st century is because of how subtle Satan is. Satan hardly a trouble you anymore, you know. No trouble you. No joke you with no fuck and all them things that you grew up on. Satan nice. All Satan wants is that you become mobile and find it hard to go to church. All Satan wants is that you get some more money and get comfortable so you fall asleep in your coach. All Satan wants is that you can't feel hunger pang that somebody else feels anymore because you are not hungry anymore. And the work of the church, the good works that Paul talks about, is this work that is going to take us past the opposition and to the Sergius Paulus of our world. I make one more point. And it is the witness of the church. And I use word work broadly, but I'm using witness now in a defined way. The apostles were witnesses because they saw Jesus and they were with Jesus. And Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, so he saw the risen Lord. We don't see Jesus in those ways, especially not in the way that Peter saw him or Thomas, you know, to push his finger in the, in the wound and take. But today, the witness of the church is about the Jesus that we see, the Jesus that we experience. And the Jesus is whose words have become our words. Brothers and sisters, there are so many voices in the world today. And so many voices seeking place of dominance and prominence.
So many voices that are self-defined that want to be authority. There are so many views that are contending against the Christian views. And one of the ways in which we have been coming up short is that sometimes we don't understand the word of God for ourselves. It is an unfortunate place that the church in Jamaica has come to. That in most of our circumstances, under 10, more, sometimes more likely under 5% of the gathered church on Sunday morning would turn out for a process of any kind where we can read the scriptures and grapple with the meat and the meaning of the word of God. There is a scandal of the discipleship of the life of the Christian. And we have to challenge that. We have to challenge it. Because if you notice in moving out, Paul first and foremost had to know what he believed and what he stood for. The dialogue that is required in a world of multiculturalism and interculturalism, a world of personal preference and personal religion, a world where people have their own preference and creation, if we are going to have the dialogue confidently, we must not only know the counterfeit, we must know the real McCoy. We must know the real McCoy. And the real McCoy says that once you know the real McCoy, you will know the fake McCoy. And church, we have a problem with that. Because there are all kind of mix up even about some of our more distinguishing beliefs. Like unity. Like holiness. Like Jesus. Like the great commandment that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And included in that is that your enemy in your church is your neighbor. And you notice that I did not say your enemy in the JLP or in the PNP. Are your enemy in your workplace? But your enemy in your church is your neighbor. And the only way to resolve that is to treat your enemy neighborly. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a part of the witness of the church. I want to say three more points and I close. This reaching out is about assessing 
where we are, the hindrances, the barriers, the roads, the pathways, and making the intentional commitment to be God's hands and feet and mouths in this world in which we live. That social action is a partner of evangelism. And that we must remember Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, and the questions asked by those disciples. And the answer that Jesus Christ gave them. As long as it is day, we must witness to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, that Jamaica is hungry for the witness of the Christians? Can I tell you that Jamaica is hungry for the witness of the church? Can I tell you that there is a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, an enemy who needs to hear you and your personal experience of Jesus Christ? Can I tell you that if you are afraid of bar Jesus, uh, you can't pass him. You can't witness where Jesus wants you to witness. Can I tell you that if Paul and Barnabas had backed down and backed away after bar Jesus, then the gospel would not have reached Haiti and Jamaica. Well, can I tell you that the witness cannot be effected without the power of the Spirit. And that's why Jesus Christ said, wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. We have to address the powerlessness of the church. We have to link it to the prayerlessness of the church. We have to address the reticence of the church to take on hard work and to stand up and be counted when God requires us to do so. We have to go to Antioch for the benchmark, to Paul, to Barnabas, to Peter, we have to be willing to say what is more important to obey man or God. We have to be willing to say do what you want to do. Even do what you can do but I am a witness. And that's what Paul said before Felix and, and um, Festus and Agrippa. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. God has sent the Holy Spirit to our heart and honored grace. This centennial, 
calls us to benchmark true worship. This centennial calls us to benchmark good works with a definition of what is right and doing what is right. This um, service calls us to benchmark witness, witnessing to the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to call us this morning to a new commitment. I want to call you to a new commitment in worship, in works, and in witness. I want you call you to become the agent through which your church is going to be inspired for a transformational experience. I want to call you to a new place in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to call you to be a partner for the church of God going forth with power and might and wisdom in the name of Jesus Christ as we start another hundred years tomorrow. I want you to be a part of the new movement in the movement of the Church of God in Jamaica. I want you to give your heart and I want you to give your soul. I want you to salsa with Jesus Christ. May I invite you to stand and I may I invite you to come this morning to signal this new day and this new commitment to which the Lord Jesus Christ.